Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk Live podcast. All right. My name is Dan Lobby. Happy to have all of you here. I want to introduce you to our panel, uh, officially introduce you to our panel. This is the new guy. If you are a podcast listener, he's the guy that's always wrong, Irie Harris. Over here, he's scribbling as we're sitting here talking, Terry Pluto. The most annoying voice in the world, especially when he's talking about Anthony Schwartz, Doug Maurice. And on sale after Sunday's game when Baker Mayfield throws three interceptions and the Panthers lose, Mary Kay's off-the-leash t-shirts. Mary Kay Cabot. All right, so let's get started. Uh, we got four kind of big topics here, and we can sort of take them wherever we want. And I want to start with the first 11 games of the season. Uh, and the question I have is, what do the Browns need to do in those first 11 games to give people hope when Deshaun Watson returns? So let's just start here, Mary Kay. What do the Browns have to do? What record do they have to have? How do they get there uh, if, to have hope in that December part of the year? Well, I really think if they want to make the playoffs, that they're going to have to go six and five in those first 11 games. You can't expect Deshaun Watson to come back after missing all of last year, the first 11 games of this year, and just come writing back in and win all six games or win five games. Uh, he might have to knock off some of the rust, and they're playing three division games in those final six. So I think you need to give him a little bit of a cushion when he comes back and maybe reasonably expect that he can go four and two. Therefore, in order to have a reasonable chance at the playoffs, a realistic one, they're going to have to hand over six victories to him, and that is not going to be easy because, as we mentioned before, the first four games are, you know, winnable, very winnable. I mean, now you've got Joe Flacco starting for the Jets. You've got Mitch Trubisky. I feel like the Browns' defense can probably beat Mitch, although I don't think that game is going to be easy by any stretch. The Steelers are the Steelers. They've got a good defense, running game, receivers. Uh, so that's not going to be a walk in the cake, as Butch Davis used to say. Um, <laughs> but I still think that in order for this to happen, that Jacoby and the Cleveland Browns, based on the strength of the defense and the running game, are going to have to go out and try to seize six victories in those first 11 games. It's going to be tough. I haven't made my predictions post yet, and I, you know, I keep going back and forth. I just don't know if I can pick them to win the 10 games I think it will need. Does, does anyone else on the panel have anything other than six in mind? Can they, Irie, can they go five and six instead of six and five? They can't. They, they, there's no room for that. They, um, I think I think the biggest thing regarding this team is you don't. I think the criticism locally and especially nationally is you don't want for this to be a wasted season. We see the money that this organization is throwing at players and the amount of talent in each element, each area of the team. You don't want for this team to go out there and just be and present itself as average. So there's no room to just be five and six, you know, five hundred and up. Terry, Doug, six and five. Can can you make the case for this team making the playoffs if they're five or less? I'm going to lead off, but I want Doug to, to seriously to kind of follow up on this. Um, I'm interested in how they're going to play those games. Yeah. Because I had <clears throat> this past weekend over there, I said, you know, well, they face the reality of, you know, all the analytics guys that want to throw, they want to always, you know, go for it. It's like I get very tired of people in football saying, well, seven points are better than three. 
but three points are better than none, and especially if you have a good kicker. And if you're going to play, this is the kind of you outlined the defense and that, then you're going to have to play differently. You're going to have to run the ball a lot more. And, uh, and Doug, I'll seriously come in after me on this. It's like they keep them, they, don't have, they only have one receiver and Mar Amari Cooper and this and that. Is there a rule that you're not allowed to throw the ball to the tight ends and running backs more? Did I, did I miss that somewhere along the line? Mm -hmm. I think the rule as it applies to Cleveland is any pass to a tight end can only be a six-yard pass. So I'm not, I'm not sure how it applies around the, the rest of the league. Um, I think a world where they look like they have a top-five defense and could 9-8 and eight get you in in the AFC? Like, can 9-8... and eight Get the seventh spot in the AFC. That's you know, the question, because then maybe five and six would do it. I mean, the only way that happens is if there are so many good teams in the AFC, and there are, that they all kind of cancel each other out and make it extremely difficult uh, to get past that nine-win barrier, and that you know you can sneak in with nine wins. But then you're really looking at all kinds of tiebreakers, and you know you you're really making it tough on yourself. So I think you absolutely have to aim for 10, at okay. least. And joining us, and she gets to start Hello. us off with this next question, Ashley Bastock. Yay. I made it through go. the Nautica Pavilion concert traffic, just barely. All right, so Ashley, we've all kind of been writing about this stuff. I'm going to try and not fall off the stage here. <laughs> Who's the most important player on the Browns to get to six and five? And I actually, we'll go through the panel, and I want to hear from some of you just real quick who you think the most important player is, if it's somebody we don't mention. So I think I'm going to go really obvious here since I'm the first one. I'm going to say Jacoby Brissett. Like, he has to still be a serviceable quarterback. He has to live up to his game manager reputation. He can't turn the ball over. He has to give them a fighting chance. I think there are a lot of important people on this team, on both sides of the ball, uh, and on special teams, I'll add, too. But I think Jacoby still has to go out there and live up to that game manager reputation, especially because the reality is we know what bad quarterback play looks like, what it can do to a team, and it can sink a team pretty fast. So I still think he has to be serviceable in that regard. Terry, I'm going to give you this one opportunity. You don't get to do this the rest of the night. Do you want to talk kickers? Boy, I'm tempted to say kickers. You guys, last year at the same forum, See? which is online, they all made fun of me about kickers. I was yelling about they don't have a good kicker. You need a kicker, kicker, kicker. Cleveland fans, actually, you guys get kickers. Uh, and, and when you don't have a bad, uh, we don't have Phil Dawson. You know, they all, they should, I should get, start the kicker jersey, you know, like they have with the Browns jersey with all the names of the, the different Browns quarterbacks because they've not had the same kicker for two full seasons in a row since they let go of Phil in 2012. But I'm not going to just say the kicker. Uh, by the way, I'm going to say Kevin Stefanski because I want to see what kind of game plan he rolls out. You know, he does do the offensive game plans. You know, he's not a CEO coach. He's a hands-on coach. And a little bit about what I talked about there and how he's going to handle, um, and I'll be interested what you guys think, because this is not going to be a fun year for him. Already he spent a whole bunch of times not answering questions that he probably shouldn't have been asked about anyway. He spends all his time talking about a quarterback that used to be here that's not here and another quarterback that is here but it's not going to be here. Okay, before we move on, you did clap back here, so I'm going to give you a taste of the athlete life. I'm going to shove a microphone in your face. Why do you agree, Kevin Stefanski? Well, because I thought he was very bad at play calling a lot last year. Um, he doesn't seem to have a great feel for the game. He doesn't kick field goals, and I know we didn't have a good kicker. 
but he seems like he runs when he should pass, passes when he should runs, and he's not, I don't know, he's too robotic. He's too by the analytics. I don't know how good a game feel he has. Plays. Okay, we've got some agreement. I have a Kevin Stefanski question in the second half, but um, we'll, we'll get into him a little more later. Uh, Mary Kay, who, who's the most important player to six and five? The most important player to six and five? Uh, that's a really, really good question. And I haven't thought about it uh, quite like this before. But I think I'm going to say Miles Garrett. And the reason I'm going to say Miles is because I think the defense is going to have to dominate in order for them to get to six and five. And I think when we turn on the TV tomorrow night and we watch the Rams, I think we're going to notice Aaron Donald. And I think that Miles needs to be noticed more often. And I have people that disagree with me about this uh, at times, but I do think uh, that he can take his game to another level. And I think he should take his game to another level. I think he's got the talent to do that. I think he's got Hall of Fame ability, obviously. And I think he's going to need to use it. I think he's going to need to dig down deep and decide that he's going to be the leader of the most dominant defense in the NFL. Forget about the Rams. Forget about the 49ers. Forget about the Bills. The Cleveland Browns have the talent and the opportunity to step up and be the best, most dominant defense in the NFL, and it starts with Miles Garrett. I think that deserves a round of applause. That was quite the case. <laughs> Doug, who have you got? Anthony Schwartz. Yeah. <laughs> Doug, no. You have to pick for real. <laughs> so I, I guess I, I might say that the tackles. Could I say Jed Wills and Jack Conklin combined? That's fair. Because I think in, in 2020, right, the tackles were good. That's when they were good. Like in 19, they had been terrible. And it blew up everything. And then in 20, you get Jed, you sign Jack, and it's like, whoa, you get a little time for the QB. And then last year, you have injury problems on both, on both tackle spots. And again, we all know this, Hubbard being out from the, right away, it takes away your swing tackle. So immediately, you're down to Hans. And that's just not a way to win. So you can't be on your fourth and fifth tackle. These guys have to be healthy. Wills and Conklin have to be healthy. And then they have to be good. Because Jacoby Brissett, I don't think, is going to escape the pocket when he gets pressured. And if you give him a little time, then maybe Stefanski can do his thing and this offense can bing, bang, boom. You get the run game going and you're okay. If the tackles, if Jed is still bothered, if Jack is not out there, you know, Deshaun Watson can answer some of those questions if your tackles aren't playing well. I don't think Jacoby Brissett can, and I think we have recent history when the tackles are good, this offense works. When the tackles aren't good, it can be in trouble. You know, that brings me to a little uh, math problem that I did a couple of days ago. Jacoby started five games for the Dolphins last year, going two and three. He was sacked 19 times in those games. And if you just project it out over 17 games, it would have come out to about 54 sacks, which would have been his career high and about what Tim Couch, just under what Tim Couch was sacked in 1999. So I think you're, you're onto something here, Doug. I think that now he did also play a lot of another game, a sixth game, but I think you're onto something here. I think that, uh, you know, Jacoby Brissett, and he'll have a better supporting cast, he'll have a, a you know, a really good running game, um, but I do think that he's going to need to be protected and he's going to need time. Irie, who do you have? 
Man, y'all taking all the good ones, man. What do I say now? There's still a big one out there. There is, and, and I think I think I'm gonna go with the obvious one. Uh, offensively, uh, running back Nick Chubb. No. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need as much as I can get. No, I'm kidding. But uh, no, nah, Nick Chubb is. I put it. We all know Nick Chubb is one of the best players in the league. I mean, when we're when we're there at practice, or if he ever speaks in the press conference, he's definitely a man who's of of you know, a man of a few words and just goes about his business and goes on with that. Uh, Production-wise, I know in his I believe his second season he rushed for eight touchdowns, went goes up to twelve, and then th this past season it dipped down back to eight. But the thing is, we have not seen the you know, Chubb hit the ceiling yet, his ceiling of potential. This is a guy that, because Brissett, a guy we talk about when it comes to respect, maybe should, should deserve a little bit more, but he's not a quarterback we're going to expect to create opportunities on, on the fly. He's not that mobile in a sense. So they're going to use a lot more of the ground game, whether it's him passing to Chubb or Chubb running on the ground. And honestly, I believe that this offense will go wherever Nick Chubb goes. Uh, I really think that he can take this team, this offense, when it comes to the points on the board, on the fly, and there's going to be a lot more that we see from Chubb. So I think he's going to be a very, very important uh, role per usual to the success of this team. Okay, this leads us into, and I want our panel to weigh in on this, Nick Chubb's uh, over-under this season, 1,125 and a half rushing yards for the season. He's gone over that twice in his career. So 1,125 and a half rushing yards. Round of applause. Who's taking the under? <laughs> One guy. Get out of here. <laughs> who's taking the over? Okay, on our panel, who's going under? Mary Kay's going over. Is everybody going over? Ashley's going over. If not, I don't want to read the emails. If he's <laughs> under 1,100, how do you get that half yard credit, by the way? I, I don't know. I have I to admit, know. I'm not gambling, just... you know, real. Um, <laughs> although I did learn how to read a harness racing form when I was 10, and my dad took me a track. But after that, i kind of <laughs> fallen off it. I, I, very seriously, if this guy's not getting like 1,200 yards, remember, you're playing 17 games. Um, that means either he's been hurt or something weird is going on, or maybe he and uh, uh, Kareem Hunt both get over 1,000 yards or something like that. He had 1,200 last year in only 14 games, and that was, you know, missing three with a knee injury and then having to come back from that. So if he stays healthy, he should 100% go over that. Doug, you looked very thoughtful while we were talking about this. I'm just trying to fake it till I make it, man. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think if he's under, I don't want to see their record, yeah. right? Like that's what, – what's the version of the Browns – doing what they need to do for these 11 games and hanging around when Nick Chubb doesn't have an 1,100-yard rushing season. I mean, he averaged 5.5 yards per carry last year. That was as good as Jonathan Taylor, but Jonathan Taylor had 100 more carries than him last year. So I think, again, he had a 1,200-yard season last year with injuries. I mean, you can't use him up, right? But could he run for 17? Could he run for 16? Like, I think that's... That's the version of, like, this is working mm -hmm. with Brissett, what? right? I don't know. Why, why can't you use him up, though? I mean, you well, paid him. Well, He's under con I mean, like, why, why can't you, like, Derrick Henry him for a year? 
it is an interesting question, Dan, because that the Derrick Henry conversation, I think a lot of people are having the Derrick Henry conversation. And we've seen it with a lot of he was so good the last couple of years, but now is he gonna fall off a cliff? You don't want a Derrick Henry because everybody loves Nick Chubb and he's the ultimate brown and you want him to be here forever, right? But running backs have a short shelf life, and if you were ever gonna use him, maybe this is the time. It's a business decision versus what else do you want in a football player and you want to extend his career being a Brown, but maybe Mary Kay, like this is the time for Nick Chubb to carry the load. You know, it could be that time, but it could also be the Nick and Kareem time. I mean, that, that's the only way that I wouldn't run him into the ground is if you decide that you're really going to utilize Kareem Hunt more so than this team ever has done before. Put them on the field together more than we've ever seen them on the field together before. Mary Kay, Mary Kay, there's a rule against that, too. <laughs> I know. That's another one of those. I mean, see, Doug, Doug had the rule, he nailed it. The six-yard pass to Austin Hooper was the tight end rule. Yeah. And the no Kareem, and it's, it's one of those, they have the big zero with the red through it, you know. Right. You know. So right. take it from, no, sir, so what does that look like? Well, I mean, I would, I would do it, and not only would I, you know, use that, I would use them in many creative ways. I mean, you can put Kareem Hunt in the slot, you can split them out wide, you can put them both in the backfield, you can put one as the up back. I mean, there's just so many things that you can do. And it also, Kevin Stefanski likes to marry the run and the pass, we know that. What better way to do that than to put Kareem Hunt on the field more when you have no idea if he's going to run the ball or if he's going to catch the ball. So that's the only way uh, where I would be in favor of under 1200 is if you give a ton of carries to Kareem Hunt who I don't think has had enough and should be very hungry this year in a contract year and he's a little mad too who who did we miss anybody else have a name out here there we go some you've got, you've got something to say I don't know if it's a name she answered the question because my one um important player is Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt mm-hmm. okay good both of them good They're, Great season at running back. Chunt. Chunt. There we go. There we Chunt. go. Anybody else? Anybody else we missed that you want to throw out there that you think is the most important player to get to six and five? Denzel Ward. He's always he misses at least four or five games a year. Keeping him healthy and out there, I think, is huge. Okay, Denzel Ward. I agree with that. Anybody else have a name they want to throw out? Let, let me just say something real quick. You know, you make a good point about Denzel Ward because they just paid him a ton of money, made him one of the high. He's making $20.1 million a year now. Goodness. When you get that kind of money, it's time to earn it, right, to go out and to, be, to lock, not only lock down your side of the field, but to force some fumbles, to grab some interceptions, and, and to really show up in that defensive secondary like you never have before. So I think you make a great point. Okay, so I want to move on to our next question before we hand things over to Lance for a few minutes uh, to be smarter about football than we are. Unfortunately, he's going to put us to shame, guys, just, just so you know. But anyway, um, Deshaun Watson, he's coming back week 13. Uh, 11-game suspension, they have a bye week in there. He'll be back week 13 in Houston. Ashley, what should we expect realistically 
from Deshaun Watson when he steps on that field again in Houston. And even over those last five games, six games now. Six games, yeah. I, kept, I keep messing that up too, Dan, with the <laughs> math between five and six games. No, I mean, I'm kind of anticipating that he's not going to look like a top five quarterback in the league right away. I think we have to remember he hasn't played a real game of football in 23 months by that point when he takes the field in Houston. So we're all putting together our season previews and how, you know, what we think their record's going to be for 17 games. And I settled at nine and eight. I was a bit optimistic through those 11 games with Jacoby Brissett, had them, you know, I can see a feasible path where it might be optimistic, but they can get to six and five. And then Deshaun coming back, I kind of settled at three and three and kind of give that like them a little grace period there because I don't think it's going to be perfect right away. And if you watch the Jacksonville game, you kind of see that he looked a little rattled. And I think at that point, he will have been away from the team for so long as well. He's going to have to get his rhythm back with those guys and in this offense. So it might take a few weeks. It might not look perfect. There might be some stumbles. So I would say we're not going to really see what Deshaun Watson will look like with this team until 2023, I think. I I think I have to agree. And I, I would ask each of you up here, if that's the case, if we don't see top five, seven quarterback Deshaun Watson until 2023. Is that okay? No. (laughs) I don't think so. Once again, when you're averaging $46 million a year, you better come back ready to play. So you go find yourself a way to get ready while you're gone, and you've got to come back ready. You have to be ready upstairs. You've got to be ready physically. You've got to know that playbook inside and out. You've got to, to have done so many mental reps that you have imaginary chemistry. Mary Kay, I, I am going to interrupt, as I don't even know, how many weeks does he get to practice then before the first game? Um, he gets to practice fully for two weeks. With the team, just two weeks. And And that is why Kevin Stefanski gave him so many reps uh, during training camp to to get ready to be able to hit the ground running. And and I think it's important, too, that that one of those weeks, he's not going to be getting many reps. Like They might give him a few extras, but Jacoby's still got to play a game. So he's really only going to get one week of starters reps. Very good point, Dan. It's not going to be easy, but once again, uh, when, when you're at that level and you're making that kind of money and they have made this type of commitment to you, then I think you just got to go out there and, and, and do what you have to do. So, Doug, my counterpoint would be, and I don't know if I fully agree with this, but this would be my devil's advocate point. It is a five-year contract. So let's say Deshaun comes back, like comes back, struggles, but 2023 through... I was an English major. I don't know what year that last year that contract is. The last four years of the deal, he plays really well, and they go to the AFC Championship game, and maybe they go to a Super Bowl. Do we kind of just forget these last six games? Well, I mean, if the Browns go to the Super Bowl, we forget everything that has happened previously in the history of the world, right? So, I mean, that's like a... That's like a Thanos or a Men in Black kind of thing. We wipe everybody's memory, and it's just the Super Bowl Browns. The Super Bowl Browns! <laughs> I don't think so. I think, and the part to me, to me about this is it's really about the Haslam's and Andrew Barry. They don't get off the hook for this year. This is 20% of him being here. They chose this. And they chose... They chose winning at all costs. He's only here to win football games. And this is one-fifth of that. This is 20% of it. 
So if the other 80% is unbelievably awesome, then I get it, right? Then that's, but they don't get to say, well, you know, he was suspended. They knew this. So let's, let's not let the people who made the decision about bring him here off the hook because he can't play. Because they knew that, and if they didn't know it was going to be 11, then they're responsible for that. Deshaun has to get himself ready. $230 million guaranteed is get yourself ready. So I think you guys all agree. This, don't let them off the hook for this year. That's all. They don't get a pass. It does. Great. Let's, let's hope the Browns are as good as they can be in, from 23 on. But this is not, this is not you know, a practice year. This is a prime year of your best players. And if you throw that away, there's a cost to that, and they're responsible for it. I, oh, go ahead, Mary. And I was going to say, not only that, you know, they had the opportunity to do whatever they needed to do at quarterback to make sure that they were really solid and comfortable at that spot while Deshaun was out. And, you know, if they didn't choose right or if they didn't make the correct acquisitions at that spot, then that will also be on them. Irie, you're a Philly kid. Oh, God. You know what it's like when a team that hasn't won a Super Bowl in forever we, we not sold them down. wins a Super Bowl, the parade. You've got the costumes. Who was it that dressed in that crate? Was it Kelsey? Jason Kelsey. Yeah. You've got Chris Long wearing his dog mask. And all. If that happened in Cleveland, oh, we wouldn't God. be talking about these six games, right? No, we would not. And, that, and that's actually why uh, when it comes... I, just said it there, coming where I come from, I, I know the power and what is capable of a backup quarterback just because of, you know, the one who was holding the Lombardi trophy up there was a backup quarterback, but neither Nick Foles. So I can feel a little sense of not saying Brissett's going to pull off a Foles type of performance, but yeah, I mean, look, a Super Bowl overall in Cleveland, I mean, you're going to forget about everything. You'll forget about the past. 30 starting quarterbacks the last 20 years. You'll forget about all that. You'll, you'll forget about Johnny Football. You'll forget about Tim Couch. And no, nobody's going to forget about Johnny Football. <laughs> I'm not going to forget about Johnny Football. Or Billy Manziel, honestly. Hey, hey, you, you know what? If I can forget about Chip Kelly, they can forget about Johnny Football. <laughs> Mary Kay will never forget those two years covering Johnny Football with helicopters chasing him and who, oh, that was like the least of his worries. All right, nobody asked me, but I'm going to toss this out because is the standard, though, that in this time of what you put the franchise through, bringing in Watson, is it that at some point he delivers at least a trip to the Super Bowl? Is that, is that the standard? Let's, let's save that. Okay, let's, let's answer that, that when we come back on the second half. Let's let Lance Reisland talk. Let's go, Lance. And that's going to be our question to lead off the second half. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Lance, you ready? Uh, thanks, Dan. Um, good evening, everybody. Um, again, my name is Lance Reisland. I am uh, a little background about myself. 
Um, I'm a football guy. I grew up in a football family. Uh, my dad was a high school football coach for 45 years. I coached myself. I've always been around the game. Uh, I've always really enjoyed how football works in terms of the X's and O's. And that's kind of my uh, connection with all these wonderful people is that I just went down to camp and I got to watch. Um, four years ago, I uh, resigned from football because I was spending way too much time doing it and I wanted to stay married. Um, so um, so I, re I resigned for the time being and um, during that time, I got to uh, work with a bunch of programs, college coaches, uh, high school coaches, and kind of learn how to watch film and what you're looking for. I think a lot of my success had to do with just watching film. And uh, that was what brings me here today. I had a great opportunity through uh, Cleveland.com to go down and watch the Browns up close. And uh, I didn't do all the interviews. I didn't do that. I went down to watch practice. I went down to watch practice as a coach, um, which was kind of interesting seeing those guys up close uh, for almost 20 days, three weeks. Um, I also got to watch some incredibly uh, talented and passionate people that work at Cleveland.com uh, who cover the Browns. It was uh, kind of uh, inspiring to see them do their work. Uh, during those three weeks, kind of going to why I'm here, during those three weeks, I came away, uh, away with a lot of notes, um, a lot of mental notes, and a lot of things just as a football coach. And the one thing I heard a lot of people talk about who the key players are, for me, it's Bill Callahan. Um, he's the key guy for me when it terms of watching the Browns practice. There's one consistent, you one consistent thing at the Browns practice every day is that the Browns offensive line is going to get better. And if you look at all the guys, the tackles that have been hurt, they've had a lot of guys in there who have played really, really well. Um, so that, for me, was my favorite part of practice. Uh, though that offensive line and then that running back, um, that running back group. Nick Chubb is, all, they're all good. Chubb, Hunt, Johnson uh, for the young kid out of Cincinnati. But Nick Chubb is a different type of person for me, and I'm 40-plus years into football. Uh, I think this is a year you can give it to him until he drops, in my opinion, especially early on until uh, Brissett kind of loses the rust and, and, and gets going, which brings me to my biggest concern, which a lot of people have asked me about, and that's the defensive tackles. The defensive tackles for the Browns are really, really good players. It's not their ability. It's their style. Uh, they're one-gap guys. They like to run up the field. They like to rush the passer, and they like to run sideline to sideline. The thing I worry about is, can they stop the run when it comes right at them? And I saw it through camp, and then I saw it in the preseason games where they do a lot of good things, and they do a lot of bad things. And I'm going to show you a couple clips here. Uh, again, I'm a film nerd. I love watching film. I do this all the time. So uh, if we can put the first clip on, please. So what you're going to get here is you're going to get Perrion Winfrey, rookie out of uh, uh, Oklahoma. He is a typical guy, a uh, college kid who's just better than everybody else in college. This is what he does really well. So as he's going to keep run this play a couple times, uh, if you could, so right here he is. Tackle, they're going to run an outside zone to the right. They're going to try to hook everybody. And a classic, classic thing for an offensive line is try to cut off a backside tackle with, with him. Uh, our tackles, when you have um, uh, Jordan Elliott, Taven Bryan, um, you have Tommy Togiai, and you have Perrion Winfrey, they, you can't do that against them. They run sideline and sideline very well. So this is what he does very well. He gets here, he gets inside that tackle, and he just beats the tackle. It makes a play, and you can see all those guys kind of running down the line of scrimmage. So if the play's going left and right when you're watching the Browns, we're in good shape. The Browns are in good shape. If you're a Browns fan, you're in good shape. Next clip, please. Next clip, you're going to see the new guy from uh, the Jaguars, Taven Bryan. He is uh, going to kind of do the same thing. He's going to run through a gap here. Um, you're going to see him right here. I'll show it again. You're going to see Jordan Elliott, Taven Bryan, all these guys running down the line of scrimmage. 
and you're going to see him right here. He's going to jump in this A gap. He's going to take that A gap, and he's just going to run, 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 and you're going to see Jordan Elliott do the same thing. Again, when they get to take a gap, they're very good. The thing that Browns fans, uh, you guys have to worry about is if a team comes out and goes right at them and double team them, which I'll show you here in a little bit. So you can see Jordan Elliott's here. He's going to run. They're going to run. So when I'm in the film room and I'm a defensive line coach, which I was, I really, really like that because they're running. Now it takes me to my concern. All right, the next clip. Next clip, you're going to see Perrion Winfrey. He's going to be way too high. They're going to go right at him, and you're going to see him get uh, blown off the ball, which happened a number of times in camp because he plays really high. So when you talk about pad level, you have to get your pad level down. So we're going to watch this a couple times here. And uh, in films, Mr. Winfrey would not have liked this, but you're going to see him right here. He gets way high and just gets driven. So once again, that's down and set. That's being a, a rookie. That's when you're in college, you're bigger and stronger than everybody else. But this is what I worry about when, when I watch the Browns through 19 days is a team that's going to take the ball and just go right at them. So you can see here, um, he's in the end zone five yards. Now next, uh, next play you're going to have uh, Jordan Elliott who gets doubled. Um, I was not at camp last year, but I was in, extremely impressed with the size of Jordan Elliott. And um, from everybody I talked to, uh, he has gotten a lot bigger. And you're going to see a better version of it, but he still gets moved. So on this play right here, uh, ETN from the Jaguars is going to get a big run here, and you're going to see Jordan Elliott right here. And what he does wrong is that he doesn't get into the tackle very well, and they double him and turn him. And in the NFL, you're going to see he gives up one yard. So it starts here, and he gets moved to right here. He gets moved to right there, and that leaves the hole. That coupled with the rookie up top, Alex Wright jumps outside in the tackle, chugs him. We call that a chug block, where he's just going to, he wants him to go outside, he chugs him outside. And just by those, in the NFL, these guys are so good, you get the double here, and you get the chug block, and you get that big lane, right? And that's constantly uh, what you see when teams go downhill. I saw it in camp, and I saw it um, during the preseason. So for, as Browns fans, um, those are things you're going to be one looking for. Now, the next one is kind of a strength that turns into their weakness. Next play, you're going to call it, we call it gap integrity. So when you look at this, um, this defensive line, all these guys have a gap. So everybody has a gap, A, B, C, and D. Um, either the linebacker has it or the defensive lineman has it, and we call it gap integrity. So these guys got to have gap integrity. So you're going to see these guys all run down the gap, and they're running, but they, they, leave it, they, lose, they leave their gap, and the gap is lost. So you're going to see it over and over here where they're going to run, and all Montgomery does from the Bears is cut back because they over-pursue. So... The thing that you want to see from the Browns is that sometimes the defensive tackles just have to be boring, and they have to get double teamed, and they have to stay on the line of scrimmage, and they don't make a lot of plays. And the Browns' defensive tackles, as of right now, uh, are guys who like to make plays. And that's not always bad, but you leave gaping holes when you do that and you don't make the play. Uh, so that being said, what are you guys looking for Sunday and for the rest of the season? Well, I think the thing you should look for is can the Browns run the ball? And if they can run the ball, that shortens the game. And as an offensive coach that I was for 23 years, if we weren't as good as the other team or our quarterback wasn't good, we have to be able to run the ball. So hopefully the Browns can run the ball. Secondly, you, thing you want to watch for is can they stop the run? And if they can't stop the run in their base defense, will they bring safeties down into the box? Will they run blitz? Will they uh, run blitz with the safeties? Will they trust the corners uh, that they have, the really good corners, 
to play man coverage and have those seventh, eighth, and ninth guys uh, in the box. And for me at camp, like I said, I think all the concerns that people have and everything that the, uh, the panel was talking about is very true. But I think the Browns can have success if they can run the ball and they can stop the run. If you have any questions, let me know. It's great to be here. Have a great rest of your evening, and uh, thank you. Thank you, Lance. I, uh, hold on one second. I spent all of training camp, or as much as I could, standing next to Lance, just learning, uh, learning things I didn't know. There were like five hands back here while our panel comes up here, so uh, I'll, just, I'll just go down the line real quick. When any of you were in training camp in the last three, four weeks, did you see Chubb and Hunt work together in the backfield? Because we all know last year, uh, Stefanski had a strong reluctancy to use them together. And I don't have a lot of confidence in the receivers, nor the offensive line, nor Jacoby Brissett, who was 13 and 25 in the NFL. And it's gonna be kind of average or sub-average. Is he gonna break down Stefanski and get over that reluctancy and b use both Chubb and Hunt in the backfield at the same time. Did you see it in camp? I'll go back to spring, and I saw a lot of two-back stuff. I'll be back to get these other questions in a second. I saw a lot of two-back stuff in the spring. Um, I'm trying to remember how much I saw actually over camp, but I think um, there's a part of me that feels like some of the two-back stuff is going to be the new 13 personnel, the three tight end personnel. I think we are going to see them use these backs that they have. Did, did you kind of see that too, Ashley? Yeah, and I was going to say too, we saw Kareem in there with Nick, but he was almost lined up more like a tight end at times, especially this was like more in OTAs. I remember we had a lot of discussions about this. And like Mary Kay said, they'll put him in the slot sometimes too. So it's not that traditional two running back look you think of, but part of that is because of how versatile Kareem is offensively. Uh, what else do we have over here? Did everybody have the same question? Is that, is that where we were at? Uh, yeah, Elias, uh, was Chuck your dad? Yes, he was. Was he at, uh, is he at Garfield Heights still? Yeah. Yes. Okay, God bless him. I'll he turns out great teams. Mic. Yeah, was he at Solon at one time? Uh, no, he, he uh, had lots of great games with Solon, but no, he was, uh, that is my dad, and he was uh, 45 years strong. Where, uh, where was he predominantly at? Uh, he started at Brunswick, and then he went to uh, Orange High School. Then he was a defense coordinator at Kent State for a couple years, and then he finished his career at Garfield Heights with me. Oh, excellent. He did an excellent job. Thank you for asking. I appreciate We're it. We're bringing people know. together here. This is beautiful. <laughs> were there other hands at this table? This whole there were like five hands that came up over here. I thought I don't. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Okay, Terry. You had a question before we went to break. All right, we go back to Deshaun Watson, and as opposed to going through the old history, what is the standard now when you pay a guy that type of money, and you trade six picks, including three first-rounders, and you put a, at least a sizable portion of your fan base through some really, um, you know, kind of, I can say trauma, but I mean, people are really upset. I mean, I, I know women that cried when they signed him because of that. And I've heard from that. I have some friends in that. So when you've gone through all that and the 11-game suspension, as both of you, you and Doug and Mary Kay mentioned, look, they, that's, this is their call. They signed up for this. Um, so 
Is it Super Bowl or bust at some point for uh, this contract? Super Bowl win or just make it to the Super Bowl? We, can we vote? <laughs> okay, let, let's, let's do this before we end. Uh, if the best they do is make it to the AFC Championship game, is that okay? Round of applause. Nobody. Okay, make it to the Super Bowl, but not win one. And this is in the next five years. Doug has given us snaps here. And if, obviously, if they win the Super Bowl, that's, I'm not even going to ask. Hey, you know what? I will, because it's just it's playing to the crowd. If they win the Super Bowl, is that... Okay. So, Doug, I think we talked about this on one of our pods back in the summer. Like, does Deshaun Watson have to win a Super Bowl over the life of this contract? So I think this is an unprecedented situation for the Browns, so they need unprecedented success. I think that's it. And I, I do – you guys have experienced an AFC championship game. You haven't experienced the Super Bowl. The buildup, everything around it, the whole country watching your team. Maybe you get there and you give your best shot. Like if you had a, a season like the Bengals just had, right? That would be something that you guys haven't experienced. So I think it has to be that. Because guess what? They, they practically beat the Chiefs with Baker, right? So, like, what are we doing? Like, if it's not, not going to be Super Bowl or bust, they could have tried to do this a very different way to not make the Super Bowl. <laughs> so, so, oh, how can you not make the Super Bowl? Well, you can do it without signing this guy to a $230 million guarantee contract. So I think... They have to make the Super Bowl with Deshaun Watson, or this will have been the wrong move. Mary Kay, what do you think? You know, I agree. There you are, Dan. Uh, I agree, and you know, I've been on that train since we did that podcast a long, long time ago. I was very adamant that if you're going to go to these lengths, if you're going to put your fan base, if you're going to ask your fan base to come along with you on this controversial journey, and a lot of people uh, have to deal with a lot in, in regards to Deshaun Watson, as Terry mentioned. If you're going to ask that of your fan base, if you're going to pay this kind of money, if you're going to tick off all the other owners in the NFL by setting a precedent and making sure that your quarterback has the first and only fully guaranteed contract in the history of the NFL, uh, you're going to pay him $46 million a year, then absolutely yes, 100%. Uh, the bar has got to be set at the Super Bowl, and I'm going to go so far as to say, and to win it. Okay, we got a comment back here. So to do all that that you said, all the um, difficulties that we went through or going through, and we know Terry's opinion on the degree of difficulties, what if after two, this year, for 10 years, how, excuse me, for 10 years, how old is Aaron Rodgers, by the way? Third. I think he'll be, four, is he going to be 40 by the end of his contract, I think? 26. Okay, so we could have four, 10, 12 years of exceptional, high-level quarterback play. That's why they went and took this incredible risk. It's not just for this one season. So I'm, I, I, I would agree with you that they could make a mistake in Brisket or Jacoby as not being a good backup, but I would not agree with you if they sacrificed, and I hate to use that word, but they didn't hit the playoffs this year, but for 10 or 12 years from now on, they've got one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best in the NFL. There's a, there's a difference. Well, we're not talking about winning the Super Bowl this year or even necessarily next year, but over the life of Deshaun Watson's tenure in Cleveland, it should 
by rights include a Super Bowl and probably a Super Bowl victory. And, you, and they do hope to have him for a decade. That's the whole plan. That's why they got him when he was 26 years old and did this. They, they hope that they have him here for a decade. I, Irie and Ashley, go ahead, weigh in on, on this one here. No, I mean, I agree. I think you have to win a Super Bowl at some point with Deshaun Watson while he's here. And I mean, we've been talking about this and Doug and Mary Kay alluded to it before the end of that last segment. But the problem with this year is you are wasting a year of the prime of some of these guys, Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward. These guys have positions where, let's be honest, injuries tend to happen. Um, and guys in those positions, their careers can end sooner than even they anticipate sometimes. So I think that Super Bowl has to come as soon as possible. And like Mary Kay said, it might not be this year. It might not be next year. It might take a few years to get there. But if they don't get a Super Bowl win with Deshaun Watson, I think that's a failure. Because like we said, why do you go through all of this and all the negativity and bring all of this on the franchise and on the fan base in a lot of cases if you're not going to win a Super Bowl? Yeah, um, if the Haslam's and Andrew Barry are not up there talking about a Super Bowl, I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, as the young man in the back talked about sacrifice a minute ago, uh, not only were they sacrificing draft picks, but you could say they were sacrificing their morals. So if you're going to do that, you better win. Okay. Oh, we got a question here before we move on. I keep asking questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> where, where do you guys put Brissett? Um, as a backup quarterback in the league. Oh, Doug, we had a podcast about this. I don't want to relive it, but we, you and I and Scott Patsko so, did a backup quarterback. So I went on vacation, and I handed the podcast off to Doug, and one day I refreshed my podcast feed, and there's a pot drafting the backup quarterbacks in the NFL. So, Doug, where'd the Browns go? Doug! I put way too much work into that podcast. We did, but we said that we ultimately landed on what? Like top I think three second when, we or considered, third. when we considered Jacoby as a backup, not a starter. And we had the discussion about that would be way different if we considered Jacoby as a starter and like Joshua Dobbs and now obviously Kellen Mond, Josh Rosen in, the, in that room as well. But it's, it's bleak out there. You know, I it think it really is. That's I, the reminder. Yeah. I think people look at Jacoby and think, oh, he's not flashy. But Doug pointed out on that podcast, every year in the NFL, there's what, like 26 really good starters? And then like six teams are playing backups or something sometimes, you know? I do want to warn everybody up on stage. I don't want to spend like 20 minutes on backup quarterbacks. <laughs> I, so I want to know. Let's go quick. Three are, I want to know. Seriously, I want to know who the top three are. We'll do 19. Uh, I think we might have gone with Hunley from Baltimore, the we way did. he played last year behind when Lamar was hurt, was pretty good. And then, I mean, I, I think then we weren't considering Garoppolo a backup. The point, I think, is this. He's a good backup. He's a bad starter. So when he was playing for six games, I was okay thinking about him as a backup. When he's playing for 11 games, I think about him as a starter. And so to me, this year, the Browns have one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. But when Deshaun's back, then Jacoby Brissett is one of the best backups. But at the moment, for 11 games, they're starting a backup. So that's how I'm thinking about it. Okay, before we move on to our next topic, I'm going to put everybody up here on the spot to pick an AFC North champion. I've waffled back and forth. I'll go first. I'm going to make myself make a pick, too. I've waffled back and forth. There was a part of me that thought, like, oh, this is going to be Lamar Jackson revenge year. He just put a deadline on his contract for Friday, so he's going to play out of his mind to get that guaranteed money that he's after. I just think the Cincinnati Bengals are still really good. So I think I'm going the Bengals to win the AFC North for a second year in a row. 
Doug? The Ravens were so ravaged by injuries last year. It was like a lost year for them. Um, you get the easier schedule. You get mad. Lamar's playing for a contract. I just think, I think angry teams are real, like people wanting to remind people of who you are. I think the Ravens and Bengals will both be good, but I'll go with the Ravens. Mary Kay? Uh, it's really going to come down to the wire, I believe. Um, but, you know, looking at that Ravens defense, when you've got those two amazing cornerbacks back, I mean, so many guys coming back off of injuries, they're always tough. But I don't know. It just seems like they always have issues, too, like something seems to always happen along the way. So I don't know. I think I'm going to go with Joe Burrow. I'm a big fan of Joe Cool. Terry? Well, I was just waiting to see what everybody else says. I'm going to go with the Ravens. I was gonna, wherever you were going, go the other way, just to be different. <coughs> go ahead, Irie. Oh, man, everybody's saying Ravens. I, I'm, I'm really worried about the – the Ravens have everything, but they, they wish that they had the running back depth that the Browns have. I mean, we have four backs who can start for at least half the teams in the league. So uh, as much as I mean, and Lamar's led, led the lead, I mean, led the team in rushing yards the last three seasons. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually gonna bypass on the Ravens. I'm gonna go Browns, huh? Wow! Oh. <laughs> Look at the new guy. All right, Ashley. Well, I'm gonna bring the mood right back down again and pick the Ravens. I'm sorry. Um, no, I was thinking. I actually have text messages in my phone. I was texting one of my friends earlier today. And said, I, I actually think I would pick the Ravens in this answer. I was kind of going back and forth. But I do have receipts that I said it before Mary Kay and Doug. Um, but I just think ultimately, like they said, they were so ravaged by injuries last year. I think people are so focused on the Bengals. Like, for some reason, I just have a feeling the Ravens are going to surprise people. And I'll just remind people, they hired Mike McDonald back to kind of revamp that defense. And people are probably Ohio State fans are familiar with what he did with that Michigan defense. The Harbaugh's love him. So I'm really curious to see what that defense is going to look like this year. I think it's going to look a lot different compared to what we saw last year, especially. Okay. I will remember this. But five, out, five out of six picked against the Browns, and I'm just glad Chomps was not here to hear it. He would have been very disappointed. We're going till 8.30, right, Dave? Okay, 8.30. All right. So uh, let, let's go ahead and move on here. Um, we've been talking a little bit about Kevin Stefanski, a little bit about Andrew Barry. And I was really curious what everyone thought about this. This is a really tough year. Kevin Stefanski is not going to have his starting quarterback for 11 games. And Andrew Barry is not going to have his starting quarterback for 11 games. How do we judge these guys? Who wants to go first? How do we judge Kevin Stefanski this year? I mean, Doug, you were saying we can't, you, know, you can't let him off the hook for this season. But like, if they go 9-8 and eight with Jacoby Brissett starting 11 games and they're competitive... That seems like it's pretty good. How are you judging Kevin? Is it, is it just wins and losses, or is there something else? I want to see Kevin Stefanski make the Browns better than they should be. So if you watch the team and you're like, oh, man, the tackles are still a problem, and I don't know about these receivers or whatever, but, oh, Stefanski won them that game. Oh, what a game plan. Or, oh, he motivated them, and they got them fired up, and they won a game they shouldn't have won. I would judge it by that. So he can't control the injuries. He can't control the roster. I get that. But I want to see, I want to see a little magic, right? Kevin, people think Kevin's really good with the offensive kind of thing, and I still have some questions about managing the locker room and the egos and all the things that, are, that again, I think Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh and plenty of other coaches do really, really well. I, I want to see him do that. 
So I, I want to feel it. I don't, I don't want to put a record on it, but I want to feel like, well, whatever happened, that dude got the Browns a couple that maybe they shouldn't have had. Well, Kevin Stefanski told us today that he is going to retain play-calling duties. So we will get to see this year what he's made of. I think some of last year uh, had to do with the limitations of Baker Mayfield. I think they looked at the film and felt there were certain things that, that he could not do. And then those two guys, uh, you know, there was just a, a disconnect, which I started writing about that in October and tried to kind of carry everyone along that through that theme that things were not rosy between Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski. So now, you know, let's see what he's got. I think Doug's right. I mean, this is a sort of a prove it year for him too. He has to show that he can excel in part A of the season, first 11 games and what he does with Jacoby Brissett, and then part B of the season. Because you have to have elite play calling, elite schemes, and you have to be up to the task of a quarterback like that. So I think we're all anxious to see how that also works out. They feel ready. I'm anxious to see what it's going to be. Can I just say real quick, you guys ever notice when Mary Kay starts writing something and then three months later, everybody else starts writing? It's like, oh, yeah, no, she knew that in October when everybody else was like, oh, we didn't know that was a problem. I'll remind people she also predicted the Amari Cooper trade like a week before that happened, and I didn't heard anyone talking about it beforehand. Well, thank you. <laughs> Terry, am I mistaken? Did you write a column about this recently? Maybe not. Oh, about I Stefan- actually don't read you, no, about Terry, Stefan- so I don't know what No, about Stefanski? Yes. I was still on trying to... Um, a couple of things. When um, Andrew Berry took over, I did an interview with him for the record on that where I said, what do you expect? This is going into the 20 season. What do you expect? The new year he said, one of the big things I'm going to look for is how does this team handle adversity? Because remember, they were coming off of the 2019 season with where they were up real high in penalties and all that stuff going on. By the way, they are up, I think, number five in penalties again this past year after having cut them hard a bit in 2020. So talking about discipline, some of the things you were hearing, saying about discipline, how are they going to handle, like you said, egos or when things go sideways? Because there's going to be one or two real clunkers in here, early, maybe not early. In, I don't. By the way, I don't even want to think about them losing in Carolina. I don't want to see the emails. I don't want to think about all that. I'm even cool. Baker plays fine, but they lose. Carolina lose. Good. That's great. But I don't want want to do. You know what? I should just ship them all over to 76 Lugo Groza Boulevard when all the folks who are angry and that. But to get to the point that what Barry said two years ago, I think still stands. How are they going to handle the adversity and things that are coming? Because they're coming. And you're, then we're going to hear when Deshaun comes back, well, he hasn't played for 23 months. All, well, what kind of game plan are you giving him? I think you're going somewhere, Terry, that I, I wanted to, to mention. Like, so these first four games, you got Carolina, the Jets with Joe Flacco, who's like 100. By the way, you ever look at his career record against the Browns? I Joe just looked Flacco? today. He's 17 and 3. Yeah, I, but I did, I did. the last time he played the Browns, they lost 12 to 9 in overtime. That's right? how you got to beat them. So, <laughs> but you got the Jets with Joe Flacco. You got the Steelers and Mitch Trubisky. And I think the Steelers, listen, I learned my lesson. I'm not going to count the Steelers out. Then you have the Atlanta Falcons. You got to beat those teams, right? Like, 
I don't care who your quarterback is, Irie. If you're talented enough, you got Miles. You still got Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and Denzel Ward and Amari Cooper. And I mean, the list could go on. I mean, if we drafted players from those teams, it would be really heavy on the Brown side in all of those games. It, it would, but here, here's my thing when it comes to Kevin. Um, I worry that putting aside games against certain coaches that could possibly outcoach him. For example, like Pittsburgh's Mike Tomlin hasn't had a losing season at all in his career. There's a reason why he has done that. But going back to my point when it comes to Kevin, my worry is because of the amount of talent, as you just mentioned, on his team, I, I worry that he's going to go into each game, maybe not the exact you know, bar for bar through the road type of game plan, but something similar to the point where by the end of the game, hypothetically, if it's a loss, to where he's thinking, well, Give you guys the game plan. You guys are talented enough to do this. That's my worry. Because of the amount of Eagles and, and the amount of talent on this team, everybody, going back to the word sacrifice, someone's going to be sacrificing a bit. You have Kareem Hunt, who was just starting, you know, a, a few years prior. He was he led the league in rushing yards, and now he's your backup. How do you adjust him and along with everybody else? I worry about the type of adjustments that he'll make because these press conferences, and we know, I mean, that's a coach who's going to give these regular PR type of answers, uh, Sticking to the game plan, we know we just taking it step by step. We believe in him, you know. We love how he does. Okay, how, how are we going to see him in the game? How are we going to go when the opposing team or Tomlin is giving you a different style of pace? How are you going to adjust to that? Do you sub in your next quarterback? Do you change your secondary? So, uh, I, I'm, I worry about that. I, I think that's kind of my point, though. Is like that's we his agree that that's his job, right? Like. His job is for us to be saying, "Oh, this is the adjustment he made." This is like he's On got. Paper, yes. Yeah, I mean, how does he use a guy like Donovan Peoples-Jones or Anthony Schwartz or or whoever? Like, how does he use those guys? That's his job. Yeah. Well, well, that that's the thing. On paper, it says, "Yeah, that, that's his job." These are the qualifications, but we know a lot of coaches that don't really follow that, and I, I worry that you'll be one of them. Go ahead, Ashley. Yeah, I mean, I was just gonna say when it comes to judging Kevin, like the thing that I want to see is him being able to switch things up and showing some offensive creativity because so many times last year, I know Doug especially and I talked about this, like you would watch plays, you knew what was going to happen. You knew they were going to be, like Doug likes to say, five and six yard passes to tight ends and 13 personnel and that was going to be the offense. Like the lack of creativity, it was just like, I don't know, it was almost like a leaky faucet and you're like, just get the wrench and fix the faucet. Like there's a solution here. Just change, change it up a little bit. Go long. Throw to your receivers. Don't use 13 personnel. And they just wouldn't do it. And I remember, you know, sitting in the press box of that Packers game with Dan, and Baker threw three interceptions in the first half. And we're like, well, surely Kevin Stefanski, who hates interceptions more than maybe anything else in football, is going to think about putting Case Keenum in after halftime. And he didn't. Like, there were just changes, I think, that could have been made last season that weren't made. And it got more and more frustrating to watch as the season went on because it became so predictable. And I'll say, even though we are all paid to cover football, if it's predictable to myself and to Doug, the other team knows what they're doing, too. Can I just interrupt something real quick? Because I think yes. we've done it twice here. So when you look at the Browns' first four games, you say, Joe Flacco and the Jets, and you say Mitch Trubisky and the Steelers, and you say Marcus Mariota and the Falcons. You realize that the Jets are saying Jacoby Brissett, <laughs> and the Falcons are saying Jacoby Brissett. So, like, if we're going to play the game of those quarterbacks shouldn't scare you, 
the opponents are playing that same game while Brissett's the guy. I agree, but I think my bigger point is like, you know what else the Jets are saying is, oh, Miles Garrett. That's what or, I was going to oh, say. Oh, please, please don't exactly. hand the ball to Nick Chubb. Yes. We, don't wanna, we don't want to have to Absolutely. tackle Nick Chubb 30 those players, times. Those players who we kind of talked about, I mean, I know I said I thought Jacoby was important, and I do think he's important, but those other players on this team, those standout guys who you think of when you think about who has to really have a career year for this season to not be a total disaster – those guys, other teams are looking at in those first four and being like, how are we going to handle them? Mary Kay and then Irie. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that uh, the Browns were built to go to the Super Bowl this year. This was the year uh, that they were going to take their, you know, prize pig to the fair. I mean, this this was it. I mean, this was supposed to be everything was in place at every single position. And their core players, their best players, were in the prime of their career. The Denzels, the Miles, they had the line, they had Nick. So this is it. And you can't say that about those other teams uh, in the early going. So even though you can say, oh, gosh, yeah, they're only playing Jacoby Brissett, you can't say that about the offensive line, the running game, Amari Cooper, the tight ends, and the defense. I, I have a question, Dan, uh, not just for us, but, you know, that I just can – Participate too. Where, where do we rank uh, head coach Kevin Stefanski within like the hot seat placement? Like, where do we rank him at when it comes to you know people in the organization with a lot of pressure on them? Is he number one? Is he number three? Where, where would we place him at? So, who has the most who has the most pressure within the Browns organization? Is that essentially what you're asking? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Is it? I don't think it's Kevin. I don't. I. I, I guess we have to. I guess we have to just. Like pressure, do we? Does anybody actually believe there's a scenario outside of like going three and fourteen? By the way, I got it. Three and fourteen, not three and thirteen. Uh, going three and fourteen, where Kevin actually is not the head coach past this season. No. No. Okay. No. He, he's not going to be on the hot seat. This is their coach for the long haul. Jimmy Haslam is not going to have a, tri- a quick trigger with this group. Uh, he has alignment in his organization. I think they all understand that this is a unique season, a challenging year. And, yes, they brought it upon themselves. But I don't think anyone's heads are going to roll this year, uh, pretty much regardless of what happens. Ashley, I interrupted you. You were, you were saying something about Kevin. No, I just think that like there's basically no scenario this year I could see where he's really, truly on the hot seat. Like Fans might get frustrated with him, and I think fans got frustrated with him last year, and that's – understandable given the offensive product that was on the field and maybe not seeing a desire to fix that. But I don't think like Mary Kay said in the organization that anyone would be like, we got to get rid of this guy. If it's not like a winning season or they miss the playoffs. So, so who way, is it? Hey who? Dan, go ahead. If he makes it through the year, do you realize that will be the first Browns coach since Romeo Cornell to go three consecutive seasons? There we go. <laughs> I don't know if that was a turn that frown upside down comment, but I just yeah, I just, it was just that one Romeo, of those like, that Romeo Cronelli era. Really yeah, ended. boy, that, well. that was. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, isn't that amazing though? I mean, just why is it there pressure on the Haslam's like they're on the Dolans? I don't understand that. Who has a better record? Well, obviously the the Dolans and. That's what I was going to ask. Like, so who is it? Is there anybody under pressure? Somebody had thrown out AB as well. Should the Haslam's be under some pressure? Yeah, I mean, it's their organization, and they made this, you know, 
agreed to this very controversial move that we've just said, if it doesn't work out, if they don't win a Super Bowl, you literally have the highest possible standard, then it wasn't a good deal in theory because of all the issues swirling around Deshaun Watson and the controversy. So I definitely think like they will be feeling pressure more from the fan base and and, and who like is that. going I mean, to fire them? Exactly. That's, yeah. what, that's what I was getting yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, you know, the you old line get, is you can't get rid of them. Like you can fire a GM or a coach. Now we know that other owners were maybe not happy with this Deshaun Watson move, but there's not going to be ramifications for the Haslam's like we think about there are for general managers and coaches and things like that. <laughs> All right, we got another one. Do you think there will be ramifications? I mean, they've changed the bar on, on guaranteed contracts, and the other owners can't be happy. Down the road is, could it hurt us for a trade or somebody that says, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> All right. I think we, some of the teams might have said something like that already when they, when they were trying to bait on Baker. You know, do I really want him or not? Yeah, I think I'll pass. I'm going I'm to have to put the explicit tag on this yes. podcast in, now. So in, 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 go all, ahead. in all of these years of, of doing this, that was our very first F-bomb. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, I mean... Somebody was going to do it. Somebody was going to step out onto that limb and give someone a fully guaranteed contract. This is a forward-thinking front office. Uh, they borrow things from other sports. They borrow from the NBA. They borrow from Major League Baseball. And, uh, and, and somebody was going to do it. And they're not really operating uh, based on who's going to get mad at how they do their business. So they're not really worried about that. And Mary Kay, my, you brought in the other sports, and that's actually I feel more comfortable talking about the way they do business than here. I cannot think in any other sport where a person that not only had all those lawsuits against them but didn't play the year before got a fully guaranteed $230 million contract. Uh, okay, not even Ted did that. So uh, we had another. Now, it may work out, but I'm just saying it, it, it's – that for, it's unprecedented. It is. Um, it is. So uh, they're not worried about making their peers mad. They're not worried about no, that. All no, they're trying they're to do is get to the Super Bowl. Okay, I'm back. Um, <laughs> can we talk about a part of the team we haven't talked about? Special teams. Um, as far as uh, the return game, I kind of lost track of what's going on there. And also, uh, I know we Cade York. We're assuming we'll be okay but the rest of the special teams. Yes, let's talk about that real quick, but then I want to go back to the pressure question because <laughs> I still think there's more there. The return game is bleak. Yeah, I yes. mean, Jakeem Grant, that was a huge loss when Jakeem Grant was lost for the season because that's tough to replace. I mean, you lost your, your returner. You lost a whole position, and there's nobody else that you can just plug right in there to do what he's going to do, and they're keeping it under wraps. You know, they have a number of guys who have – sort of auditioned for the role, but, uh, you know, they just don't have that one Jakeem Grant kind of guy, and that, that was an unfortunate loss for them. Yeah, I was going to say on the depth chart, the first unofficial, we'll add the caveat, unofficial depth chart, Demetric Felton is the one who's listed, the only returner listed right now. I think the problem with him compared to Jakeem Grant, who's made a career out of doing this, is he's not quite the same, like, style of runner, not quite as elusive as Jakeem Grant is. 
But the other guys we really saw in preseason, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. I know we talked about this, but it was Aesop Winston who got waived yes. and Mike Harley Jr. who's on the practice squad. Yes. guy. There so we those go. Were, those were the three guys in those three preseason games getting reps. So I don't know. I mean, I, we talk about Demetri Felton all the time and what his role is. Maybe he'll surprise some of us here and excel as a returner. But it definitely is, I think, a lot bleaker than when you had Jakeem Grant, who was going to revitalize this return game, which the Browns and Mike Prefer in his time here just have not had. Can I throw a name out there for a returner? Yes. Anthony Schwartz. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, another question. Another question over his here. name just to hear the booze. Oh. Uh, Mary Kay, I have a question. Um, when Baker was at the Senior Bowl, I heard you at 92.3 The Fan. Um, something he said or did made you feel uneasy. Could you ever reveal what, what happened? I think you may have been listening to the Colin Cowherd show that I was on. Um, and I still need to, you know, write a little bit more about this and talk a little bit more about this. And if I, if I can pull it off, and I don't know if I can, my sports editor's here, so I have to at least act like I can do this. But <laughs> Any, Anything you say, you're committing to. Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to write a Baker reflection this week, but work keeps getting in the way. I have to go to practice. i got to go to interviews. But anyways, so I will be hopefully writing some more about that. Uh, but it's, it was just my impressions of him at the Senior Bowl, and by the time I left the Senior Bowl, I knew for 100% certain that Josh Allen was my number one quarterback that year that I would have picked in 2018, and I wouldn't even have had Baker Mayfield on my draft board. So that's what happened when I walked away from that. And that's not revisionist history. I, I can certainly vouch for that. Oh, we got, we got one more back here. Coming back here. I believe uh, Ashley mentioned this earlier about offensive creativity. Uh, is there any chance, you know, as the offense is going to probably have to get creative those first 11 weeks, that we see Josh Dobbs taking any kind of snaps as a dual threat quarterback? Anything interesting that maybe the offense will try to, you know, keep the defense on their toes those first 11 weeks? This is Mary Kay's bread and butter. <laughs> well, I mean, you can answer it if you want to. No, you, you go ahead. I have a different we're, – we're slightly different in our theories that we've talked about before. So, Ooh. yes, I would give Joshua Dobbs a package of plays, and I would have it ready for every single football game beginning with this Panthers game. And in the event that Jacoby Brissett struggles a little bit or they just need an infusion of energy and life – uh, I would go ahead and throw Joshua Dobbs out there in certain situations. And during the week, it also gives you the opposing defensive coordinator something else to worry about, something else to think about. And the Browns need any little thing that they can get like that right now. Ashley, what's your theory? Yeah, so mine is if things go really badly, like I'm talking, I think I said maybe like two and three or two and four or something with Jacoby. I think you got to consider starting Joshua Dobbs because I know we talk about <laughs> – I, I didn't expect I would get applause for this, especially with Doug sitting up here, quite honestly. So thank you, because I will be using this whenever Doug tries to argue with me. It's a small sample size, right? The guy's thrown like 17 NFL passes in, in real games. But when you watch Do Joshua Dobbs, when, if you watched all three of those preseason games, he is dynamic. He can move. And I think sometimes in the NFL, you like predictability. If you're a head coach, Kevin Stefanski knows what he is getting when he puts Jacoby Brissett out there. He's getting a game manager. He's getting somebody who, in theory, won't turn the ball over a ton. 
But with Joshua Dobbs, like, well, with Jacoby, other teams know that too, right? They know who Jacoby Brissett is at this point. And that, I think, is when predictability gets to be a bad thing. And I think Joshua Dobbs, that, that creativity he has, the, you know, hurtling over the, over the goal line to score a touchdown, well, a little scary when it, you're talking about the guy who's your backup. It is, it, he's just more dynamic, I think, and more unpredictable, and that might work in a small sample size in their favor. Sometimes you need a rocket scientist, but yes. my main question is, I hate to go back to Anthony Schwartz, but are they seeing him in practice as like an amazing rock star and just chokes in a real preseason game or a game? Are they seeing something different than we are seeing? You know, I'd like to take this one, if I may. There we go. Um, he does do very well in practice. In fact, I tweeted out, and this was just in, it was a route on air, so to speak. So it was just Jacoby Brissett, you know, throwing a deep ball to, to Anthony Schwartz. He performs fine in practice. He looks very good in practice. He's obviously struggling uh, in the games right now. And he was always, he was always going to need a lot of swings at the plate because he, he just was going to be a, a raw receiver, more of a track guy that was going to need a, a lot of reps uh, in order to get good. And he just, he still hasn't had that. But he is going through, uh, obviously, uh, sort of a, a mental thing right now with the game. So I, for one, would appreciate if people would give him the time to work through what he needs to work through and I know he's working through it. What? So, and I therefore, think, I, you know, I think he has a chance to be good, but it's gonna—it's only if he can overcome uh, that part of the game right now. And to build off of what Mary Kay's saying, because she and I have had this discussion, but I, I assume there are some Cavs fans in this room as well, right? Like, show of hands, yes, okay. I, I think about, since I've covered the Cavs some, covering a player like Kevin Love who's been open about how like mental health problems or anxiety, things like that can impact you on the court. So I think that when, when I talk about Anthony with Mary Kay, I tend to agree with her that there could be something going on there that might take some time for him to figure out mentally, but since he is still so young, if they're willing to give him that time and didn't waive him, you know, like I think some people were maybe hoping they would given how he looked this preseason, I'm okay with that because we just don't know the full story of what's what? going on there. Can what's we, that, what's can that I try Pixar something? movie? Go ahead, Terry. Um, never has a third-round pick who's caught like about 11 passes in his NFL career been so discussed. I mean, I get that they really need that, but how about Donovan Peoples-Jones? That's why I want to see him throw the ball to more. I think there's a lot more there well, than we've seen so far. So and what's that Pixar movie with the emotions where they have like the little emotions? Inside Out. Inside, Doug, you're like the red guy, just... Is this the Pixar movie part of the show? You're I'm like, ready for that. This is yeah. Should we quiz you? You're, like, you're sitting here like you're like the red guy right I'm, before he explodes. I'm oh, I'm sorry. Doug, what about Anthony Schwartz? Listen, I, I'm not trying to be like dismissive of real issues that people have, but like you're a third-round pick, and it's your second year in the league, and they kind of need help in the receiver room, and I don't know. So you're, I, I don't know. It's, it's a real issue. I understand that. But also, the Browns maybe should have reinforced the room a little bit more with one extra veteran that Mary Kay has brought up if you are at this spot. So yeah. there's, the, there's the Anthony Schwartz part, 
And then there's the, the position the Browns are putting him in where it kind of feels like they could use him. And if he's not ready to help them, then why is your receiver room in this position while George Pickens is with the Steelers? <laughs> hey, by the way, can I ask you, Mary Kate, there is another third-round pick as a receiver. David Bell. What, nobody's mentioned his name. Well, David's going to be good. David is, is ready to roll. The, the thing people also have to remember about David is that he might have some growing pains as well. And part of that, is, well, part of it is because he's a rookie and they always have growing pains, or they usually do. Um, but he also had a stress, a stress fracture in his foot in the beginning of training camp. And when you miss training camp, the beginning of training camp, and you miss some of that offensive installation, uh, I generally find... It takes a while to catch up to that and to overcome that. So he might, you know, he might also need a little bit of time uh, to come up the learning curve. Uh, but I agree with Doug on Anthony Schwartz that if you can see that your guy is struggling like that, then you have to compensate for that and do something about it. Because the truth of the matter is right now they might not be able to rely on him. I mean, you know, while he is working through the stuff he needs to work through, you know, why not? Sign Cole Beasley or somebody like that. I mean, I, I would have had uh, somebody else on the roster, some kind of a veteran who is sure-handed and can go out and get the job done. Uh, on my David Bell, since I, maybe I'll just make, make him be my guy since nobody mentions him. This is the Big Ten receiver of the year. That's a words, bad vote. I mean, like, he's a good player. He shouldn't have been the Big Ten receiver of the year. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> All right, he sinks. <laughs> no. He caught, what, 90 balls, or what did he catch? Doug. His production was off the charts because okay. Purdue doesn't have anybody All right. else. But and on top of it, now, you guys are in – no, seriously, you guys – Ashley, you guys have been in training camp a lot. How's his hands been in training camp and everything? David Bell. They look good. I mean, yeah, and I, I actually talked to David today, so be on the lookout for that at some point. But, you know, one of the things, to Mary Kay's point about what – what happens when a rookie misses a significant part of the preseason? That's what I talked to him a lot about. And it was interesting because we've, we've talked about this before a little bit, but every day, even when David was out, he was still mobile. He was still doing catch drills, things like that, from basically the first day of training camp until he came back. Every day he would be out there after practice with Josh Dobbs going over the routes and the playbook and things like that. We saw that every day. So even though he wasn't full go in practice, on top of having the great hands, like Terry said, he only had one drop, I think, in the preseason, um, looking at the PFF numbers. But on top of that, he was kind of still staying in it as much as he possibly could. So I'm optimistic for him, him as well. I mean, even though the reputation of a guy who's not fast, I think he can fill this role in the slot. It sounds like he's adjusting really well to that. He only played about 20% of his snaps there in college. but. Overall, I think he's got a really high ceiling. Like Terry said, maybe he's a guy that people aren't thinking about all the time necessarily because he is a rookie, but I think he's going to be a big part of this offense. Where I wanted to go with this also, where Schwartz's college career was a lot of potential, the track guy learning this. The opposite is David Bell, whose college career is accomplishment. And he has some nice size. And what we've seen, the little, I've only was out there a couple times, but what I saw I thought was pretty good in a little bit And when he played the last preseason game. And not whether he's a Big Ten receiver of the year or not, you know, talent-wise, obviously he's not. Those guys from Ohio State are better. But uh, when you looked at just how he produced, and I do think that Purdue was – were they loaded with other receivers? Was Purdue loaded with other receivers last year? No. So I do think they might have defended him a little bit. 
and he still produced. Oh, no, no. He was the guy you game planned for when you played That's, that's what I'm saying. And Absolutely. despite all that, he caught 80 or 90 balls or I, whatnot. He was good against good teams. I, I, okay. I, think the, I rest my case. I, I think to Doug's point, though, that I would make is David Bell is a good player. He's a productive player. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are dynamic players. Of course. They're George first Pickens picks. is a dynamic player. But we're talking about Sky two Moore different third. Sky Moore could be a dynamic player. By the way, two different third-round picks. That's all I was bringing up. True. But is David Bell going to be dynamic, or is he going to be Richard Higgins? How about a really good Richard Higgins? Okay. You know, right. I love Richard Higgins. He was my guy. You had to bring him up, didn't you? Real quick, the, the, the thing about this receiving core, I think the initial idea was that the receivers did not have to be spectacular because Deshaun Watson was going to elevate the play of all of these guys, and suddenly they were going to just pop. And now... They're going to have Jacoby Brissett for 11 games. And so, you know, that's where I also think they probably should have added a few more accomplished guys that didn't need to have their game elevated. Why do you think they did? I don't know. It's, it feels like they've identified something, right, that we know the defensive tackle discussion Lance did so well. It's not a priority for them. Defensive tackle is not a priority, right? We've seen until JOK, linebacker is not a priority. It feels like to me in a world where big-time receivers are getting paid, Devontae Adams, the Raiders prioritize him, Tyree killed to Miami, receivers are getting drafted early. It feels like the Browns are going the opposite way. And you look at, for instance, they could have drafted Rashad Bateman or Greg Newsom right at that spot. They take Greg Newsom. Who's arguing against that? Greg Newsom's great. Rashad Bateman's going to be the number one receiver in Baltimore. They trade out of the spot at 52 where they could have taken Pickens or Skymore. This year it was 44. 44. Pickens won at 52. That's ingrained in my brain. They, they traded out of 44. They moved back. They take Martin Emerson, who looks great, right? That's two straight years. When they could have gone receiver, they go corner. They end up adding to strength when you already have Denzel, right? And it just feels like it's a strategy where they're not going to invest quite as much at receiver. They're going to take some shots. Let's take some third-round shots and see what happens. You hit on a sixth rounder that seems pretty good in, in DPJ. And I just, it feels like the opposite of where the league is, where receivers are getting paid and receivers are getting drafted high. Sometimes I like when the Browns think they're smarter than everybody else. And sometimes I don't like when the Browns think they're smarter than everybody else. And this is one of the areas where at the moment I'm very much questioning it. Well, and the other way to look at it too is you look at what Kansas City did. Right, they decided we don't want to pay Tyreek Hill that much money. So what we're going to do is we're going to just we got a great quarterback, and we're going to bring in a bunch of fast guys. We're going to bring in like a Juju and a Sky Moore and that that guy they signed from Green Bay, who aren't like great receivers, but they're really fast and they kind of fit what we're going to do. I'm telling you, Sky Moore, Ashley knows, I, he's going to have a crazy Dan's year in guy Kansas since City. He talked to him at the combine. Our participation all stars over here had another question. <laughs> First of all, I'd like to thank Dan and all of you panelists for being here today to answer our questions. Thank you. We, we, I and our table certainly enjoy it. Uh, a question I have is, I'd like to have a comment on the David Njoku contract extension and uh, what your opinions are on that. And also just a general question on, do you have any idea why college place kickers do not make it in the NFL. I do not understand that. So if you can answer those, I'd be very thankful. Thanks, Dan. Thank you all. 
that's, that's fine. It's a good thing you d didn't, I didn't have the mic when you asked about David and Joku. <laughs> uh, we got like four minutes here, so if we want to talk about that stuff real quick, especially the, the Njoku contracts, I do think there are people wondering, like, why did they pay David and Njoku $14 million a year? I'll take the David Njoku one because I've been saying for a long time, if you listen to the podcast, that I believe he is capable of about eight touchdowns a season. That's what I see in him when I see the body type. I see the route running. I see the improved hands. I think he's capable of that. Do I think he's capable of that with Jacoby Brissett? Perhaps not. But with Deshaun Watson, yes. So I think that they were paying him for future services and for future touchdowns. Uh, so I still think the potential is high. And he's been around for about 10 years, and I still think he's only about 18 years old. So <laughs> he just never gets any older, no matter what. Um, so I, I do see that in him. And this is his year to, you know, to prove what he's got. Again, I don't know if it will happen uh, with Jacoby, although I think Jacoby will target him a lot. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but I, I think he can do it. I think, I think he's got it in him. As far as the kicker thing, you and can I take it. the kicker. <laughs> because you know I love kickers. Go for and it. I'm going to bring in an expert witness, which is Phil Dawson, who I know pretty well. Phil Dawson always says, you know, they think they just find these guys in any corner. So they cut somebody like Phil Dawson or somebody else is good, and they bring a guy from the corner, and he looks like he is a guy you brought in hanging around the corner. And his point is that much like quarterbacks, whether you want to argue there's 15 good ones or 20, there's certainly not 32. Say there's 15 that are really good, you know, five or six that are elite, you could do the same thing with kickers. It's just as hard in his mind to do that job as it is to play quarterback. Maybe I won't go that far, but his basically the way he lays it out with the stats and that and the, the mental pressure of having to make those kicks and different things, um, he's got a really good point. So I think that's why. It's just like it's really hard to find 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. It's hard to find 32 uh, consistent kickers. Anyone have any other thoughts on Kicking or David and Joku, Mary Kay. I just wanted to say something really quick, and I know Dan, you were going to get to this too. You thanked all of us for being up here. We really want to thank all of you for coming tonight, and we greatly appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate all the support. We appreciate uh, those of you who are uh, subscribers, and uh, we just will keep trying to do a great job for you. All right, so let me start selling you on some stuff. <laughs> For those of you who aren't subscribers, cleveland.com slash browns, there's a blue banner at the top of the page. We have this thing called Football Insider, and basically what you get is access to those stories on our site that have the subscriber exclusive tag on them. You get those. You also get a newsletter every single day, and that's actually written by one person sitting on this stage every day, except for Doug. Doug, maybe we'll give you some of those. But... Uh, we actually write those newsletters. That's content that doesn't go any on our, anywhere on our website or anything like that. It's completely exclusive to that newsletter. And we also have this text subscription service where uh, Ashley, Mary Kay, Irie, me, we text things out throughout the day. So sometimes it's breaking news. Sometimes it's analysis. Uh, our Hey Mary Kay pod every week, those questions come from our texters. Uh, we can actually text you back. I do a pregame Q&A. It goes directly to you. It's not like Twitter where it goes out into the universe and everybody sees it. Um, so cleveland.com slash browns, that blue banner at the top of the page. Uh, get info on that. Get signed up. Podcast listeners, I'm sure you're sick of hearing me say those words. But seriously, do it. It's worth it. It's a good, it's a good thing. We love doing it for you guys. Uh, if you aren't a podcast listener, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, just look for Orange and Brown Talk. You'll find us there. Get subscribed. 
leave us some five-star reviews, say nice things about us. We love to see that stuff. And also, that paper uh, in the middle of your tables for the Pick'em Contest, QR code, uh, it's free. Like I said, do not pick Kirk Cousins. Whatever you, don't, don't leave your fate in Kirk Cousins' hands, whatever you do. I've learned my lesson in Pick'em Contest before. Uh, but other than that, pick whoever you want. And if Kirk Cousins does one, don't blame me. I apologize. Um, I think that's everything, right? Did I? Oh, Terry, we had one question here, completely unrelated. And like we're completely out of time, so just real quick thoughts. The Donovan Mitchell trade. I like it, but don't love it. Um, and But I'm very interested to see. What is this? Because maybe I, I'm too old and can't get my head around trading all those uh, draft picks. Uh, but... The next three years, they have four guys, you know, who have been all-stars. Well, mostly will be. And there's a, I wrote a column over Sunday where I talked to a top GM, and believe me, you would know his name. And he was kind of around my age group, so I wondered about the pick thing, how he felt. And he said he absolutely would take it, what he called it, the big swing. And he said, secondly, now when you have four players like that, you should always have two good players on the floor at least at the same time. That will prevent... Um, you know, those 13-to-1 runs, that kind of stuff. So he said, and by the way, the pressure really swings over to a J.B. Bickerstaff. But it's, and I've gotten a couple emails from people who just said, gee, you know, uh, Colin Sexton, they're both, uh, like Mitchell, they're both 6-1 guards or whatever. Well, last I checked, Colin Sexton did not make three all-star teams. And it's not like he played in the media supermarket. He was in Utah. The guy's a good player. And it should be interesting to see how it goes. Um, but um, as they said, they took a big swing. And the nice thing is all these guys are younger. And at the minimum, they're all under team control for three years or more. Okay. There we go. Kind of uh, like nice, Mary... nice to trade for a superstar with no controversy, eh? <laughs> <laughs> under contract True. already, may I add. All right. We're out of time. All right. Like Mary Kay said, we really appreciate all of you. We certainly appreciate everyone here. Uh, who's doing the work for everybody, uh, the bartenders, the servers, working the board back there. Make sure, please, honestly, take care of these people, all right? My wife was a server, I know. Uh, please, just take care of them. It's good karma. Take very good care of them tonight. All right, thanks to everyone for coming. Uh, it was good to see everyone. <laughs>